0: Welcome to Madifaya, the show that dives into the climate crisis in Belize. I'm Andre Habet. Today I'm speaking to Dacia Rigada and Jonathan Tromio of the Crocodile Research Coalition regarding their efforts to relocate crocodiles and teach people about the significance of them to Belize as biological indicators. Let's go to the interview. Thank you for joining the show. You both work for the Crocodile Research Coalition. I'm very interested to know what was your introduction to crocodiles like for each of you?
1: Well, for me, I, I always liked crocodiles and appreciated them from a very young age. So I just started off um well, reading about them and you know, going on YouTube and educating myself. And slowly by slowly I just started um just uh being passionate about the conservation of crocodiles and other predators. So um then there was this time when I was in the University of Belize, and I was given the opportunity to do my internship with the Crocodile Research Coalition. Uh, Dr. Taze, she uh, allowed me to to conduct my my internship with the CRC. So that's how it all started, right? Um, with just my sincere interest at first, and you know my passion, and that's what has um brought me here today. Great. And Darcy? Um, uh,
2: So with me it was kind of a bit of like it was different. I was first um I was in the teaching career then from there I move on to architecture designing house plans for my stepfather's construction business but then I, I still like had a passion for wildlife growing up because I grew up in a farm and then which led to like me volunteering with different NGOs just to learn more on how to rehab and how to like um find ways I can give back to Mother Nature through helping wildlife. And then that's how I met the crocodile research Foundation slash the founder of the CRC. I messaged them and I was like, Hi, can I volunteer with the CRC? And then she said yes. And that's how my passion started to develop on crocodiles. Because at first, growing up, like in Belize, like I was thought out, okay. Crocodile is going to eat me. Crocodiles is going to kill me. Stuff. You know, it was seen. It, it, there was a different perspective on crocodiles. And I was curious to know the facts, if this was true. And then I started to volunteer with CRC. And then my passion started to develop from there on. And now I love crocodiles. It, they're actually very exciting once you get to know them.
0: Well, how, how do you get to know a crocodile? I, I am not really familiar with them. I'm not afraid of any animals, but chickens, really but i I just keep a distance from most of them, but how does the crocodile research coalition how does that job give you interaction time with the crocodiles?
1: Um so our our main focus is actually like research and education, and um, some aspects of our work does uh, comprise of relocating and responding to wildlife calls, and of course we will respond to crocodile uh, issues as well. Um, In Belize, we are expanding every day, like our population is growing and we are consequently encroaching into crocodile habitat. We know that Belize is is like in certain towns and cities, like we are below sea level. So we are living within crocodile habitat. And as a result, we do have to engage with them whether we like it or not. And that's where we have to Come in and assess the situations. How how bad is it, right? And um, sometimes it's it's just really a matter of knowing how to coexist with, with 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 crocodiles, right? Because not every situation we have to remove a crocodile because that's not going to help any of us, like crocodiles and the people. And that's not our mission here at the Crocodile Research College, right? So it's a uh, case by case. Uh, basis. So we do have to look at the, the situation carefully and decide from there on how we will address the situation. What right? are you
0: trying to educate people on in regards to crocodiles and this notion that, well, it's us due to our habits that we've become the encroachers on their territory um, due to our population expansion. How how do you communicate that to people in a way that they may become more empathetic to the to the plight of survival that crocodiles currently face?
2: So um, just to add on to what Jonathan said, and to add on to your question, uh, our mission as an NGO is to promote crocodile conservation through Belize and Central America, through community involvement, education, and research. Uh, we, do, we do believe that education is key to everything. Like, it doesn't make sense to try to protect a species if we're not educating the people about the cons, the pros and cons. Of crocodiles or living with them, so one of the things that I focus in with the Crocodile Research Coalition is education. Um, I found uh, we have found different strategies through social media, um, trying to keep up with the new norms of edu- like social of, of social media, and through social media we have been educating people how we coexist with crocodiles and not just crocodiles, other other animals, other wildlife. Um, apart from education uh we try to create a lot of engagement with the community we started off working with eco clubs in the community whereby we involve a lot of the kids and the kids go back to their parents so like the knowledge is being passed on in small little ways uh but at the same time like the information and how we coexist with these animals are still being passed on like even when you in the village you will see um Mr. Said, there is a crocodile by the lagoon Miad. So, like, we never kill it. We never stone it. Like, you know. So the kids do react to these things, and when they go back home, like, they will tell their parents, "Mom, it's not good to kill it." So, like, their the education through outreach that we have been doing has been very um vital for the schools, for us, and also for children and the public in general. But at the same time, um. We have we one of the other ways that we have been implementing the education system to the public uh, to conserve the species is through news media, Um, like for example through you guys, Marafaya, there and other different social media, the news channels. You know, we try to reach out. (laughs) We're kind of we're very consistent, so we we try our best to reach out as many people as possible through education and through virtual. At the moment, but before the pandemic, we would reach out to schools and just go there, eco clubs. We would partake in like agriculture, um, agriculture events and just different events to try to show up and just educate the public. So, yes. And um, just to add on to what, uh, to your previous question to Mr. Jonathan Treminio, we, one of the things that we always say in our educational outreach is that, it is very important that you do not approach a crocodile, either whether if, if the crocodile is in your yard or you are swimming in the river or you're in the lagoon and you see a crocodile, do not approach it. Why? Because the crocodile will feel threatened, the crocodile will think that you're there to kill him or her. So we, I always advise people, okay, if you see a crocodile, keep your distance, do not go close by, just walk up, with, walk away and just admire the beauty from a distance. And it doesn't only go with crocodile, it goes with manatees, it goes with jawas, tapirs, just animal slash wildlife in a hole. Admire from a distance. And then if you live close to the the lagoon area, and we always tell this to people, do not, do not feed crocodiles. If you know there's a crocodile in that pond or in that specific area that you're living, do not throw your food crops, leftovers there. Do not feed it because then at some point, you will stop. You will stop or you will move on to another building and someone else will come and jump in there. Think Then the crocodile will think it's the same food that you used to throw there. You know, so the crocodile will mistake that, you know, the leftover food that you used to throw there or the food that you used to feed it to him, to whatever jumps in there. Maybe sometimes it's a dog. And that's where you get situation where dogs are, um crocodile eat someone's dogs. But again, um, human, like, i i'm I'm saying this like my own perspective. I think that our actions determines our consequences, whatever we do or whatever our action is towards something, and especially with this kind of situation, um it's kind of our our fault, especially if we know that we shouldn't do it. That's why we always try to like tell people, not feed the crocodile, not throw my food there because, you know this will happen, this and that. So we always find our ways, you know. We find sceneries whereby people can relate, and we like you know just try to put ourselves in their feet at the same time. But yes, we're always trying to do it in a very smart way that we, no one gets offended or no one you know gets like mad of it. But yes, there are different ways um you can coexist with them. If you live like closer to the another way you can um that you know this, you can avoid this kind of situation is build a small gate so your dog doesn't escape, right? And if you don't have the materials or the finance to buy um, materials to build a gate, put some rocks, you know, just, just to avoid it, put some rocks around the air, try to find different old wood uh, or plant mangrove, plant a tree. So you're giving back to mother nature and at the same time protecting your dogs and yourself and your kids. But like I said, um, crocodiles, they won't attack you. Or they won't come or they won't approach you if you are not approaching them. Sometimes this is because you know people try to kill them, trying to catch them, they will fight back.
0: What are some other misconceptions about crocodiles? I feel like a lot of people, because I don't know if it's biological or sociologically constructed, we have an aversion to reptiles, right? Most people will try to avoid them, um, thinking, you know, they're cold-blooded, they, you know, they they're heartless. Um and without the risk of anthropomorphizing or using, I guess, their similarity to us uh, to to make us more endeared to them, what are things that you all have learned about crocodiles that people would be surprised to know?
1: Over the years, media, TV shows, uh, documentaries... Have portrayed crocodiles and other predators as being, like you said, cold-blooded and um, vicious, man-eating predators, which is um, not particularly true with the crocodiles in Belize. In Belize, we have two species of crocodiles, which is the morelet's crocodile, which is the freshwater, and then the saltwater, which is the American crocodile that lives or inhabits the keys and the coastal, the marine areas. And right, and both of these crocodiles are relatively shy and timid compared to their um other crocodile crocodile cousins around the world so in you would see national geographic and animal planet uh displaying the behavior of the nile crocodile which is one of one of the man eating crocodiles and of course we have also the big saltwater crocodile that is also a a man eating crocodile you would understand why these uh tv shows would show these animals instead right it's more interesting. It's more engaging, but of course, it's it's not really helping uh, conservation in any, in in any way because people are then grow, have this fear for crocodiles now, regardless which species it is, and then that has been perpetuated uh, for many years and generations. Then we have other cases such as um, in Belize, crocodiles and other predators were hunted, and then they were seen as pests and vermin, so. That idea as well has just been perpetuated um, in many years now and has resulted in the that um, unwillingness to coexist with these uh, rather shy and timid species. Yeah,
0: so I guess they have a lot in common with uh, with human introverts now where, you know, people, people get vexed at them when an introvert gets riled up when you bother them too much, but, you know, nobody told you to bother the uh, introvert to begin with.
1: Certainly, that's a that's a good um, example there.
0: <laughs> so, Jonathan, I, I congratulations on your recent grant award. Um, I actually met with your mentor yesterday at another meeting, and um, she was briefly telling me about the work you're developing right now. I know you're just starting it, so you can't talk about it too much. But can you can you tell the audience a bit about your work in looking at crocodiles at the New River? as a biological indicator for the New River's health. Can you explain to, for our audience and for myself, so I can have a clear definition, what is a biological indicator in this
1: instance? So a biological indicator is, uh, for example, we have the species, right? Do we have the more or less crocodile, which will serve as an indicator, of course, uh, of environmental toxicity, contaminant exposure, right? they live in this environment in this watershed for many years now all their life and then they develop certain uh, traits that are the result of uh, exposure and then we have to look into that right and then for example we have to cut a skew and analyze it and that would be an indicator right they would indicate what's wrong with the with the ecosystem and that's how we address the situation by using one, one species or a, a group of animals to look what the rest is uh, like. So, what are examples of
0: that having been used in a study to enact greater ecosystem conservation? Can you point to anything that our audience can understand from historical examples?
1: The program has been; they have been using tissue samples for the past decade or two, but that is not the the results are from the 1990s right so it's not really up to date and a lot has happened then. so of course more investigation is needed yeah
0: i think in some cases i've read about wolves being a biological indicator for particular areas i have a friend who's involved right now in a lawsuit um in alaska to I think she they're working towards protecting the wolves, but protecting the wolves as part of a bigger plan to conserve that whole ecosystem terrain. With that particular example, with what the work you're doing, um, can you tell our listeners like, so what brought about your interest in doing this study at the New River specifically?
1: Well, coming from Orange Rock, I think that seeing the New River, how it developed into this really sad sight, um, honestly, I lived in Orange Rock all my life and you would smell the, the, the pollution and how, how bad it was and communities near the river had to evacuate this. And that's really just sad and working with crocodiles as well and seeing how as robust predators, like really at the top of the food chain, they're dying as well. There's a lot of fish dying and it's just the whole ecosystem collapsing and that it was hard to just look at that and just let it slide, right? It's not so right. How does
0: this work then potentially help those efforts to improve the water quality?
1: Pollution has been always been a problem in this in this watershed, right? Um, different sources and the state of the, or the condition or the natural condition of the new river, it's, it's a very slow watershed and there's not much flow to it until there is like significant rain, which will give flow and, you know, give it, um, wash away the contaminants, right? Or the pollution. And then we have issues such as climate change. We don't get enough rain. And then the contaminants just linger there for more than we need, we needed to, right? And then that it has been affecting the, the aquatic ecosystem. And this whatever is in the water is affecting these crocodiles, not only crocodiles, but fish and the birds and the turtles, everything that lives in this water, right? And then, looking at the crocodiles as an indicator species, mm-hmm. they're there, right? They're they're in large numbers. There, it's a it's a hotspot, and it's a, sad to see the hotspot being crump, compromised by by pollution. So we look at the more or less crocodile, and we take samples of them, and that is a a piece of their tail, one skewed sample we call it, and that that would be analyzed for uh, for heavy metals. So heavy metals uh, is a result of industrial pollution and agricultural pollution, amongst other other, um, other stuff, right? But mostly industrial stuff. And then looking into that, we will see what is in the water, what is the concentration and the diversity of these contaminants, and associated with some source. And then that's how we will address it address the situation it's a lot it's a it's a lengthy project right it's not going to be uh within a year it has to happen in uh, decades possibly but it's a start
0: yeah it's impressive and these sort of long-term commitments this is the sort of science that i think a lot of people don't realize is what ultimately leads to useful policy change because and i guess it's easy to forget because they're they occur over such a long period of time that If you're at the start of it, you have to sort of keep abreast of the fact that this is going to be paying off, not today, but in a couple years. So one thing I want to get into here then is, I wanted to ask, you mentioned that climate change is um, slowing down the river in part because you know there's less water being fed into the watersheds and therefore there's not a strong flow. What are other ways you see climate change affecting crocodile habitats and how are crocodile behaviors potentially changing as a result in Belize?
1: So with climate change, it means dry season gets more intense and also the, the wet season is more intense as well, right? So we get higher temperatures and then we also get intense rainfall causing flooding and destroying habitat, destroying nests, crocodile nests, um, resulting in a uh, lower population as well. We also have issues such as um, biased sex ratios, which will in the long term affect the population of crocodiles. Crocodiles are, are their sex is dependent on the, the the temperature on the nest temperature. So high temperatures would produce males and lower temperatures would produce females. So when you look at at, at that at climate change. You can mm-hmm. see how it can be affecting the the sex ratios of these rept of these crocodiles
0: yeah, and then decrease the amount of breeding opportunities okay. over time, and this is a this is a broader phenomenon occurring across species on, in the world right now, right where one of the big impacts of climate change that people are not really cognizant of so far is that fertility rates across many species are dropping at this time, yeah. So Darcy, can can you give us some information on how the sort of programs you're developing? And I'd like to know, essentially, how have you had to adapt that in the midst of a time when being in close proximity with other people is discouraged and people are at this point, I don't know about you guys, but I am uh, tired of extensive virtual meetings.
2: The pandemic has, you know, affected everyone in different ways Uh, when it comes to our educational outreach. Now, before the pandemic, it was so different. It was uh, was so exciting to get into that classroom and looking at those kids and they're like, oh, crap it out. But now that we went virtual, um, it's actually I I find a lot of positivity on the virtual education. Um, So I'm kind of glad that uh, the pandemic made that changes. Uh, reason why is because I can reach to a wider amount of people and wider amount of students through virtual education. And um, so I've been doing that. However, uh, I mean, when they see the CRC or the Crocodile Research Collection is going to do a presentation, they are expecting just to have like crocodiles. But I have... um, Created a new way, a new strategy. I, ha- I brought up a new strategy when it comes to a presentation. So normally it's 40 minutes. So 20 minutes will be a crack talk uh, to the kids, and the crack talk would be puppet show, a sharp puppet show storytelling about image uh, and just crack it out in a hole. And then the other 20 minutes it will be like a day with the zookeeper. So we invite people from okay from the zoo, Belize Zoo we invite a zookeeper to speak about their job and what they do at the zoo through the classroom. So we invite different classrooms join together. So that's one strategy that it's very fun, very interactive, very exciting because it's not just about crocodiles. Uh, we want the public to know that it is important to also protect and care for different wildlife. And so, yeah, I, I think it's, it's. I've been, we've been adapting to it in a very positive way. And um the more people, like I said, we share about crocodiles and my life, the better it is for me. Uh yeah.
0: You all also are very active on, well somewhat active on Facebook. And uh, the content you all share is really interesting in terms of how it brings people in. I'm I'm curious as to to what extent that's part of the public awareness that you're trying to develop and how and um what are, what are things that you're interested in people learning about crocodiles through that medium?
2: Um, yes, so social media has become a huge thing now, especially TikTok and Instagram. So
0: You all are uh, on TikTok? You're on TikTok? Yes,
2: please follow me on TikTok. It's <laughs> <laughs> so yes, I created a Crocodile Research Colage on TikTok. Uh, so basically I upload a lot of videos. I make a lot of crocodile videos there. And um, just a lot of videos displaying our conservation work with crocodiles and our foreign and local interns, you know, just to showcase a lot of what it is to work in conservation. Because a lot of people think that working in conservation is, it's boring or it's like cheap and so forth, but it's not. It's actually very beneficial to some to people and just nature itself. <laughs> um, so yes, the social media Oh, trust me, I love the fact that we're using social media to get the message across to people because like it helps like we get messages from Belizeans and saying like, oh, there's this crack here in my yard. Can we come? Can you guys come and get it? And So it's been very useful to us. And um, one of the message that I always whenever I'm creating a post for social media through our page, one of my message is like, you know, there are different ways we can coexist with crocodiles. And not just crocodiles. They're, it's, they're like what Jonathan said, they, they, well, crocodiles in itself, they're very territorial. They, they've been here before us. Let's be honest. A lot of people live in like close to lagoon water, close to the sea, you will see crocodiles. You will see wildlife. Uh, it's not every time we're going to remove them and just relocate them because they will go back to that same area because they're territorials. So I always try to, you know, carry the message across and say, you know, we just need to coexist with them. Uh, You should be happy that you're seeing a crocodile right now because sometimes, like, you know, they're very shy and timid, so they don't normally, like, all the way out. But, um, Yes, that's my, the message that I was trying to carry across when it comes to using social media uh, in a hold on TikTok. Yeah.
0: I got to I gotta get back on TikTok. I was following one friend on there and, you know, never really explored it. So you're going to be my second follow.
2: Ah, well, yay. <laughs> yes, it's it's really
0: fun. I'm curious as to whether you can all talk about other ways that other issues facing the environment that are also impacting the crocodiles' livelihoods <laughs> or well-being, I guess, livelihoods makes it sound like they have jobs. but their well-being, like you know the example that we we're talking about with the new reverse health. What are other things that people might be doing that they might not be aware of are impacting the way that these animals get to live? I know that we're encroaching on their habitat due to population expansion. Is there a way that we can develop our do those sort of expansions to meet people's housing needs? While also ensuring that we, you know, leave a leave some space, which is getting harder, right, as the sea level rises.
2: Um, so one of the, I'll pass it on to Jonathan, but I just want to say, so just to add a little bit to that, uh, one of the thing that the reason why we started our eco clubs here in the village is because plastic has been a big issue, and uh, it's not just affecting wildlife; it's also affecting humans in different ways, you know. Um, so when it comes to our eco clubs we we do a monthly cleanup and uh we have two eco clubs one of it is more like research based the other one is more like okay let's sink let's sink our teeth the conservation by cleaning doing a beach clean a beach cleanup every month go there pick up the plastic batter and then recreate art out of this um plastic so you know at the same time for that monthly cleanup we do do a presentation whereby, okay, today we're going to talk about uh, how does plastic affect crocodiles. Um, crocodiles do tend to eat plastic. They confuse sometimes plastic to food that they eat. So this is why you shouldn't throw it there. You know, we we try our best to like, okay, you know, have them understand that the reason why, the purpose of why plastic is not healthy.
0: Yeah, that's a really good example, especially, and it does make me think of the, you know, beyond the individual Disposing yeah. the trash where it should be, there's also the more systemic issue of garbage collection and proper disposal in the <laughs> country. I don't know if you all are aware if this is happening and where you all are at, but both and in Belize City right now, the garbage collection has fallen off dramatically because the city council has then laid bills, they <laughs> late the payment bills to um to the Belize waste solid waste management limited. So, there's there's these other things that extend beyond the individual that I think um, we we haven't really addressed uh, um, as a as a country. Yet. It's uh, it's sort of unfortunate. Not it's horrifically unfortunate to me that we haven't developed a more sophisticated waste management system. Even though we're really good friends with Taiwan, who have one of the most sophisticated systems in the world. You
2: should just hustle from Taiwan, uh, but uh, you know you know.
0: Um, well, negative they, they garbage trucks. <laughs>
2: But where does the garbage goes to? That's my point. <laughs> so, like, you know, like I, I would. They go to the,
0: really bad landfills.
2: But you know, you know, mm-hmm. I would tell this to the kids. Um, climate change had existed ever since, even before I was born. We're never gonna change climate change. We're never gonna stop plastic. This might sound really negative, but we will never stop the ocean from being polluted by plastic. Reason why it's been an issue for years and years to come and every day a human is born every day a human is dead and it will continue to pollute our waters no matter what the only thing we can do is to contribute and try try to like okay you have a plastic bottle there don't throw it throw it in the garbage bin so we always with the crc we always try to make plastic things very fun So we create baskets, we create like little plants so that you can plant your plants and put soil in a little bottle. So there's always ways that you can use this plastic bottles. I think that's, we're never going to stop climate change or or the people using plastic. So it's all about, you know, try to contribute to mother nature with the little that you can do towards it.
0: Well, I I think hopefully we're getting to the point where the production of plastic is going to stop happening once we, if we succeed at preventing the continuation of fossil fuel extraction, which we need to succeed at if we have any chance for survival. So it's my hope that we're at the end of plastic, but it is amazing to see the ways that people have upcycled it. I read a really cool essay last year that was all about the fact that plastic is a very unique material And rather us, you know, seeing it as something that is evil, we need to recognize it for what it is. It's like a, it is a very hardy material that we need to see almost like a gift. He said in the future, you know, I imagine a society in which we give each other a plastic bag and that's a gift and it's not, and you know, a more durable plastic bag than the ones we typically have, but one that recognizes, oh, this has unique properties. And if we care for it, um, it does, it's not going to. Result in the the type of degradation that leads to their microplastics that are really at the heart of the plastic problem now, in which you know they they can they can enter the uh, the bodies of particular species and and fuse at the molecular level with them. I mean that's bonkers. Uh, there's a sci-fi story I really like that's all about this, really, where it's about humans evolving because of our ingestion of plastic over millennia um and uh we look very shiny in that future
2: it's very incredible you know i was um watching so i participated in that event with oceana as a wave maker and there was like uh we watched a video called chasing corals and it was amazing yeah it had like the coral has so many plastic china you know and all this product that we keep getting but i'm very excited to hear that um Belize has implemented some rules towards this plastic sales and so forth, which is also good.
0: Yeah, that, that's definitely a whole other episode I want to have on Belize's uh, attempts to do that because uh, I have a lot of skepticism regarding its uh, enforcement right now. But yeah, definitely something we'll explore in the future. Yeah, and we, we want them too, right? Because I, I like the idea that we're thinking about the future and then also, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to have kids. So I'm just saying, like, I want stuff for me to see when I'm an old man, too, you know, regardless of whether or not there's children there in the future for me. Um, but no, that that's really well well worth pointing out, you know, the fact that I was talking to someone else about an issue related to all this, right, with a with a proposed mining project. And the the thing that we were talking about is that it's really hard for people to imagine the destruction of something in the environment that they have maybe just because of familiarity taken for granted, and you don't realize the role that it plays in your life until you lose it. And then with the environmental issues, it's like you know, sometimes you could get mad at a friend and you can fight and make up, but when these environmental projects occur, sorry, these destructive, extractive projects occur. There's no going back. There's no going back within a lifetime or two, yeah. even.
2: One thing, oh sorry, um, like you know, we live in a very touristic area, Placencia, and there, there is well, I, where I live, I'm uh, same by a village, but most of the time I'm in Maya Beach. So Maya Beach and Placencia, they have a lot of new tourists coming in and so forth to live. You know, so a lot of this mangrove gets removed, which is uh, not good. But at the same, you know, this is when you get a lot of crocodiles coming out of the water, looking for mangrove, looking for where there is mangrove, there is fish. Crocodiles love fish, like what Jonathan said. Um, no, this is when you will see crocodiles out, uh, out of the lagoon. But again, and then we get calls, you know, the crocodiles is by my house or is by my boat. That's the thing. When you remove all this mangrove, this is their habitat. You're moving their home. So they're looking back for their home. And uh, another thing that I wanted to say is also that um, when it comes to a, the mangrove removal here in the area, it's 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 really. <laughs> I always say this: if you're gonna build a home or buy a property with mangrove in it, don't. If you want a you want a view, you want to build a pier, build your pier, get your view, but do not remove the entire set of mangrove. At least just leave some on that side and some. Do not just leave it clean you know there's always ways ways you can get benefited
0: where are you hoping to go with your career from this point
1: um well i'm very interested in being a better biologist a better conservationist so i'm gonna stay here well and see uh where the wind takes you right i enjoy being a biologist and it's it's very rewarding doing something that, you know, it's good for the, the future of humanity.
0: Can you tell our audience who may be interested in getting into the biological sciences in the same way in conservation, how, how they might go about, you know, finding a path towards doing that as a career? Because I, I have known a lot of people who at one point expressed that and then just felt like it would be impossible um, but you have made it happen and Darcy has made it happen and there are a lot of people who work in this area and you know I, there's a lot of people I'm sure who for, for whatever reasons are not able to enter these spaces but what do you think helps a lot?
1: Um, having the right mentor I would say. Um, I I had like I said I had this very in- sincere interest very passionate about conservation and the, my mentor and, and employer, Dr. Maricete, she recognized that and she offered me a career, right? This is not a job for me, this is a career. And um, yeah, she gave me all the opportunities to, to be who I am today. So I wouldn't be the person I am without, without her, right? She's really made me into this, this conservationist that I am. So of course, having that, that, that person that mentor that pushes you to be a better version of yourself certainly helps you. To, you reach your 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 life goals.
2: Yeah. so yes, I I will definitely agree with Jonathan as well. Um, when it comes to like uh, our team, it's it's we're a family. We look at ourselves as families, even with our intern who comes here for months or a year. We're like a family. Uh, Maris Doctor Teas is like really wonderful. She's a great mentor, and you know it's. It makes you feel very comfortable, and you know, it, it makes you feel part of not just a group, but also a family. So I think that's very important, and in every NGO and in just in well everything. said. Thank
0: you very much for coming on. Can you tell us anything about upcoming programming that you'd like to highlight with the Crocodile Research Coalition?
2: Um, you know, <laughs> it's crocodile month. You know, well, crack Uber. awesome like <laughs>
0: sorry that's super cool <laughs> I, uh, okay <laughs> you
2: come, you let's go too much okay um sorry <laughs> okay it's cracked. <laughs> let me concentrate okay it's crack over month slash crackdown month um i already i literally just posted a flyer so Normally before COVID-19 uh, for the f- entire month of, the, of October, we would do like educational outreach back to back from eco club, fishermen's workshop, uh, universities, etc. anything, everybody, any, anybody that I'm accessible to. So, um, so yes, that's coming up but because it's everything went virtual, I just posted a flyer on uh, our educational outreach, uh, that we're going to be doing for this entire month, which will include puppet show storytelling and um, a day at the zoo or a day with the zookeeper. So we have partnered up with different collaborators from different NGOs. So it's going to be something very exciting. We will be bringing the outside world to the kids in their computer. (laughs) So yes, that's something that's going to be happening this month of October, this coming month of October. Yeah. Just right around the corner, and yeah, that's one of the things that's new when it comes to craft. You all have seen is one. it an
0: alligator or a crocodile? There's yeah. a movie, a horror movie, where the crocodile is the villain. Have you all seen that? Where it's a hurricane and then these crocodiles, yeah, you're familiar with it?
2: Yes, yeah, someone like um, tagged me on it, someone mentioned okay. it to me. I i didn't watch it, I, I know. like, they were like, guys you know so i was like girl those are just cro- that's not true but
0: that's uh, crocodile and propaganda started. everyone <laughs> Anti-crocodile that's propaganda. we don't we don't appreciate this <laughs> this is a pro crocodile podcast you're
2: yeah, right <laughs> yes definitely um it's gonna be really ex- i'm really excited about it you know because like We'll get like different schools um going into just one Zoom meeting to you know learn and be part of this activity. So I'm really excited about. Um so yes.
0: Well what good luck.
2: Know? Um normally uh-huh. normally before the pandemic, uh Croptoberfest, like last I think oh, I can't really remember. The last time we did the CropTuberfest, it was just way before COVID, um we had our first CropTuberfest celebrations. <laughs> Basically, it should it, it we did a like <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's mostly about bears <laughs> oh, Mr. Howard you can't mean this way <laughs> it, it, it's your
0: fault that that to me that's the, the most that, that's a hilarious name for a month and you just say it so you say it straight face that's what makes it funny to me but I guess you have to say it you have to say it all month so uh, it's gonna it would take a lot of time if you laugh every time you I say do, it.
2: Yeah Yo, but you know you say i need to make it catchy i need to make it you know oh into their face but not like push push into their face but i need to make it, it catchy works. you know it,
0: Crap- it works it works for me
2: <laughs> no but like back in the, like in other countries with the Crocodilian world people and colleagues of um crc uh like they would do Fest as well like every year um so like, the last time we did it we had like uh, um we got a lot of bears donated. <laughs> so just you know, I'll <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean it's to raise funds for crack Yeah, crop conservations. Definitely. So um, but the bear was too expensive, so not really about it. But my point is that um this year we're trying to do it different. We're trying to do different strategies, uh, you know, just to carry the message across for Crocktuber. Yeah.
0: All right. I'm Say looking yes, forward to it then crop will uh i'll I'll be tuning in to what you all are doing Jonathan, you have anything um you'd like to leave us with?
1: uh not really. I think we discussed uh everything that we had to discuss today um yeah, but thank you for having us It was uh a pleasure being here. I enjoyed every second of it and it's good to to have the to have the word out there about crocodile conservation
0: yeah i'm all for it and I, it was really good to talk to two of you this was a nice conversation to have on a friday morning
1: yeah
2: well thank you again for having us and don't forget to follow us on tiktok yes
0: yes i have to Bye. hop on that
2: Love it. let me know if you need the link for our um activities for tuber.
0: I I just shared the Croctober um, post you made on Facebook. So I got I got that up and going. Yay. So don't worry. I'm here. I'm plugged in.
2: I'll give you I'll give you a sticker for like a CRC sticker one of hey, the days. You you better
0: because I get promised a lot of stickers and I never get them. So I'll hold it to this one. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'll send you I can't really send you it online because then you have I have to pay and I don't want to pay for it. So unless you it, it, it right. support our conservation work and buy a sticker,
0: but yeah, I'll, I'll give we'll you We'll we'll leave it to fit then. Someday I'll get that sticker from you. <laughs> Thanks to Dasi and Jonathan for joining today's episode. Please check out the Facebook page to see all their Croctober coverage and find more information on joining a Crocodile Research Coalition tour. If you like the show, please subscribe and consider writing a review for us over on Apple Podcasts as it helps to increase the show's visibility. If you write a five-star review, I'll read it in a future episode. If you have a climate crisis or environmental story impacting Belize you'd like to discuss, you can contact us at matafaya at gmail.com or message us on Facebook and Twitter at Matafaya, and be sure to hit that follow button. And as always, thanks to Alexander Evans for providing our theme song, you can find him on Instagram at alexanderevansmusic. And thanks to Demi Williams for providing our artwork. And thanks to you for listening to Matafaya. Don't forget to join us next week for our season finale before we take a break on Matafaya for the rest of 2021. Rest when you can and find some shade. <laughs>